When I start with a nice vote, I'm Pasha's Emmer. A vote from the Oirich Lechaim. I apologize in advance if there's any background noise. There's some construction going on in my office. Um, so I hope I won't have to, I, won't, I hope it won't disturb anyone. The Pusik says, Vyemir Shemar Moshe, Emmer Lechahana Bane Ahara Vamartu Alayim, the Nefesh Leitama Ba'amov. So he asks a few kashas, Bane Ahara Nakahanim, Emmer Vamartu. He says there are two kinds of people. There are those that serve Hashem, and because they're serving Hashem, they're so separated from other people that are not. And they actually can't handle people that don't serve Hashem properly. And they actually um, um, argue with them. They don't, they don't get along with them. They don't want to be near them. And he says, it's no good. It's no good. It's not, uh, you're not supposed to fight with anyone. Shachnurach starts over there. You shouldn't be ashamed of anyone when you're serving Hashem. You should be confident. But, the Bas Yosef says that, Magdavrum quotes that, you shouldn't fight with anyone. Not because you're serving Hashem, should you not get along with people who aren't as uh, passionate about serving Hashem as you are. On the other hand, there are those that do like to be close with everyone and socialize and get along with everyone and look good and, and be appealing you know, to other people and get attention from them. And he said, that's also very, you have to be very careful. First of all, in general, somebody could be very arrogant when he's looking for other people's attention. And in general, some people might... Um, lesson their avoids Hashem because now they're getting along with people who aren't so, you know, so elok like they are. So he says the Puzik is teaching us Emer Lekahanim teach those that are serving Hashem Benaya Haran they should be from Talmid of Shlach Haran Oyev Shulim Veroidev Shulim Oyev Sabrias Makarvan Latoira. You don't want to not get along with people who aren't as good as you. You want to help them. You want to help them grow. You want to be close to them. You want to feel connected to them. You want them to feel connected to you. And then Vomartu Alayem Al Nevesh Leitama. Of course, you have to then be careful. That even though you are getting along with people who aren't as erlich as you are, as dedicated in their avodas Hashem as you are, to make sure that that's not in any way going to pull you down. And this is a such an important lesson when it comes to what today became coined um, and, and termed kirv kroivim. So often you have people that you know kirv rechoykim. You want to reach out to somebody who's who's not religious and be makar of him. You know, it's relatively simple. Most people are doing that. Most people on that line. Are not, are, not, are not attracted to a different way of life. On the contrary, they're, they're, they're attracting others to the way they are. But when it's someone close to you, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's someone in shul, sometimes it's a child, sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's parents. And you're looking, your agenda at least, on some level, is to be makarav, those who are already close. You know, that there it's a little more tricky to have a good and close relationship, close enough to really be makarav someone. On the other hand, to not, to not maybe sometimes get too close either to learn from them or to lessen your own standards and things like that. Now it takes a lot of chokhmah, I don't know how to do that um, when you're trying to show someone that you really do love them and accept them and, and respect them for who they are, and you do, and you do. And your agenda is not just to get them to do the right thing, you, you want to make them feel good too because you care about them. But on the other hand, to know how to you know, stick to your ground and, and make it clear to everyone around you that this is what I believe in, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm, I'm very, very strict with. This, this, what I, this, these are my principles. This is what I believe in. And so it's always a balance that that's important to you know to to attain. And everything in life is about balance. Going to any extreme in anything, in most cases, like the Rambam talks about, any extreme is no good. So when you get extreme, this, this is what the Chaim teaches. When you get extreme into your serving Hashem and not having anything to do with anything that's contradictory to your service of Hashem, that's not good. That's not what Hashem wants. And when you go to the other extreme of being good with everyone and close with everyone, even when it affects your avodah Hashem, also not. There is a middle way, and that actually is what Hashem wants. So that's obviously essentially the real avodah Hashem. With that said, um, let me let me read a question that came in a while ago, um, and see if we can apply some of what we just spoke about. 
Okay, thereby growing your English, share this week. Pashas Chayasara, being a husband's police lady, touched me on an open wound. I like what you said, that if it's not relevant to the questioner anymore, it might have become relevant to others just yesterday. Sadly, it's too true. Thank you for being the right person at the right time. So I'm just saying again that sadly, by now, maybe it's not even relevant to this question anymore, but as we mentioned often and as she's writing on this woman, that very often these things are very relevant to very many people, more than you think. Okay, in case you discuss feedback or whenever you broach the topic again, I want to bring up a point that you didn't touch upon this year, and not in any previous one either. Yes, I checked it all out when it unfortunately became applicable. And, and that is catching it in the nick of time. The, the topic, the idea of catching it in the nick of time. No healthy human being takes over his cup of one sunny morning. There's always a gradual decline. What would be your approach to a husband that comes home with his pious cut off? Why not take those necessary steps before he reaches that far? Of course, extreme situations call for extreme measures. You can't respond to skipping Tfilibetzibur the way you would to trampling on a real Issa Daraisa. But many people would have never reached that point had they been helped earlier on in the game. Assessing the situation, which is probably, I'm just assuming, I didn't look back at the class that she's referring to actually, but I'm assuming that she's using my, my term. Assessing the situation is definitely important. But I think it's safe to say that many, if not most cases, start with no bad intentions. Call it laziness, neglect, or even old-fashioned tavis. The initial breakthrough in the previously solid structure is what brings on a second step down that could easily spiral out of control. So in short, when it's just a different standard that you would like or want, assessing it is important. But any serious enough declining Yiddishkeit should be a red flag. Using the example of an unfiltered smartphone, many consider it to be a ticket to Gehenim, rightfully so. Wouldn't it be better, or even easier, to deal with an Erlichinga man that you watch struggling at the brink, rather than deal with the mess of one who is already drowning? How to do it? I don't know. That's my question to you, the professional. I'm watching my husband, a from Haimishinga man of who means well, wants to be good, and do what's right, walk around with an unfiltered smartphone hidden, hidden in his pocket. I can't tell him anything because as far as I'm concerned, he's not aware that I know he has it. Showing support and having a strong, close relationship is important, true, but it's definitely not enough when the Yitzhara is burning in his pocket. With just, with a, with just a touch of his finger, the whole entire world of Tivus and Schmutz is open in front of him. How can we bring the bird safely home before it flies too far away? By the way, to be genuinely open, warm, and supporting to a husband in such a situation is impractical too. You can't have, you can't have unconditional love to a grown-up when you never know when he uses it and what he watches, it leaves you anxious 24-7. That blocks the flow of emotional connection. Okay, very intense. Um, the, the basic gist of the question, just to put it into a few lines, is that um, how do you know when you should step in and, and maybe if it's early enough you should intervene and do something that you shouldn't get to the later stages you know, when things start to get out of control and there's so little you could do anymore. So let me let me give a, a few ideas, and I hope that some of them might be applicable, at least to this situation or other situations, and, and say the following. But before I do that, one of, one of my introductions, one of my disclaimers, one of my introductions, just like I say often, you don't want to wait six months for an answer to such a question. And in general, anyone dealing with such a situation, I don't think should be sending in an online forum uh, a question, whether it's anonymous or not, um, to get an answer in a shir. If this is a situation you're dealing with, and you feel lost, which I understand why, then I think you need some one-on-one guidance. Chances are, if I recall correctly, I probably, I probably wrote back to whoever sent in this question, that you need one-on-one guidance. Don't rely on a shear for that. And this is a general thing that sometimes people don't want to get help or go for a consultation. Now, I do not, I, of course, you do have to be careful who you go to. Make sure you only go to someone who's in a better situation and help you instead of somebody who's going to make it worse. Something we spoke about a lot. Um, but you do want to get 
help from somebody understanding and competent when you're dealing with such a situation. Now, I didn't look back at the shir you mentioned or at my notes from that shir, although it probably will one day turn into an essay. For those of you who are signed up to my essays, it usually comes out like two years later. I'm something I spoke about two years prior. But I, I try to be consistent, and I hope that nothing I'm going to say now is going to contradict anything I said then. Uh, the rules and the, you know, the, the ideas that I, I use are, are, always, are almost always the same. So let me just uh, delve into this. One thing I want to I wanna mention, because you're talking about catching things early on. Catching things early on. And just two ideas before, before we go into anything more elaborate about what a wife could do, what a wife should do, how to address things, but just, just two things I want to just put into perspective after hearing the question. Very often, uh, when it comes to teenagers as well, people look at situations and, and see a kid... Uh, we, there's a term we use, at risk, right? There's at risk teenagers. Most often these terms are not used correctly because by the time we call a kid at risk, he's a kid at risk, he's not at risk anymore, he's beyond risk. At risk is when somebody is much earlier on. He's doing relatively okay. He doesn't have a close relationship with anyone. Okay. He's not so happy. Okay. Um, he's not, uh, he doesn't take authority well. Okay. That kid is at risk. Now, there's nothing at risk about him yet. Nothing noticeable, at least. He didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything, but he's at risk. A teenager in that situation, where he's unhappy, not learning so well, um, doesn't take authority well, and is not close to any mentor, that kid is at risk. Now, there's ways to assess when it really is or isn't at risk and how, what you could assume might happen to such a kid. My point is just that by the time he's already behaving differently, where people are, oh, that he's a kid at risk, he's not at risk anymore, he's beyond risk. He might still be in the early stages of showing where he's going or what he's confident enough to do, uh, and it might take another year, Chaz Shulam, until he gets to a place where he's you know, totally doing his own thing. But that's not, really, that's not called at risk. What does risk mean? Risk means that you know, the child is, is fragile and his situation is fragile and, and you've got to be more careful because it might one day turn into something that it shouldn't. But by the time most people realize what they're dealing with and they're calling it at risk, it's not risk anymore. My point is that very often um, you look at a situation like the one you're describing. Now again, I, I don't know you, I don't know your husband, I don't know exactly what you're dealing with and it could be you're right, it could be it is very early on. But sometimes people look at things and they see it's so early on. Right? Why shouldn't I say something? Why would a professional tell me to keep my mouth shut? It's not yet a big issue. It's not yet terrible. It's still, you know, there's still so much hope and chance. And very often, the person who's a little more attuned will tell you, it's time to say nothing. It's time to say nothing. Sometimes, by the time somebody's expressing a certain ashkofa, or, or is misusing technology in a certain way, by the time you get a few of those red flags, which to you look like it's so early on still, it might not even be that early on. Now, I don't mean to scare you, Chaz Shulam, or tell you that your situation is terrible. I mean to say that you, by the time you realize you're dealing with something, it might already be time to sometimes you know, bite your tongue and don't say anything that could really rock the boat, and let's try to deal with this with a lot of chachma. You're already at a point where you'll need chachma to deal with it and assess the situation properly to know how, how much you could do, how much you can't do, um, what you shouldn't do, what you still could do, and things like that. So I, I hope that was already um, just clarified some of what you're telling me. You know, the fact that somebody's not openly behaving in a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that it's still early enough to just say what you want and deal with it any way you want because obviously he's not yet you know, in Shaltachtas. Okay, that, that was just one. Another thing I do want to mention is that, you know, as, as you very correctly said, and again, I hope none of this is coming across um, um, to scare anyone doesn't mean the situation is worse than you think it is, and that's why it's a lost case. Not at all. I'm just trying to call a spade a spade. 
Um, another thing that you mentioned over here, that, oh, that showing support and having a strong, close relationship is important, but not enough when the Yitzhara is burning in someone's pocket. Uh, it's a very good point. You might be right. You might be right. It might not be enough. Please remember that the Yitzhara is a very, very strong force. And it's very easy to at least fool ourselves to think that we could overcome someone else's Yitzhara. We could, we could barely overcome our own. The fact that I might be dealing with a different Yitzhara than you are, which makes it look to me like yours is easy for me to overcome, and I'm not tempted by that, means nothing. Because my own Yitzhara is something I can't manage with. So when somebody feels lost, like, yeah, the small things I could do, it's wonderful, but how is that going to help him overcome a Yitzhara? I don't know if it could or I don't know if it will. I don't know. The Yitzhara is a very strong force. You can't make anyone or necessarily even help anyone overcome their Yitzhara. What you could do is, you could do the best that you could do to make someone the most comfortable that they could be, to have the most emotional and mental and psychological and spiritual strength to deal with Yitzhara. Because if they're dealing with a lot of other aggravation and, and unhappiness, it might just be harder for them to deal with, with Yitzhara. So it's not a question that controlling anyone's Yitzhara is a big challenge, and any parent who has a child struggling with the Yitzhara issue, and I think that's what it's called, by the way. You know, we, we give it a lot of other ideas. People like to give it different names. It's not Yitzhara, it's trauma, it's this and that. It's Yitzhara. It's not the Yitzhara. So the only thing that's left is Yitzhara. Now the Yitzhara has a lot of different tricks in his pocket, and some of them are trauma-related, and some of them are you know, abuse-related, and some of them are, I don't know what else you want to call it, but it's still Yitzhara. And, and doing what you could do to help someone overcome Yitzhara doesn't mean necessarily that, that, that it's going to work. So I'm just, those are just a few disclaimers about this question I'm getting over here. I don't know if the situation is what you think it is. It might be further on. And I don't know if there is a way for you to help someone overcome a very strong temptation. Now, with that said, let's just back up a little bit and talk about some more general ideas first, because you mentioned something about, about, about a police lady. Let's talk about the general position of a wife, and it's really a spouse, but, but let's, again, talk about a wife. At the end of the day, there, there are differences between a husband and a wife's positions, but a lot of what I'm going to say is really relevant to both, but let's, let's refer to it in terms of a wife. The position of a wife is not to be a police lady, not to go to that extreme, not to be the one that dictates or tries to control or is critical or unaccepting of a husband. It's not, it's not a wife's job. Nowhere does it say that. And you most often probably were taught that as a colleague. You're not, you're, not, you're not your husband's police lady. Not here to control. If you notice him doing something wrong, you, most often you'll be taught to say nothing. On the other hand, a wife is not one to promote things that aren't good and just go along like a shepsel to the shechita and say, oh, you want to do this bad thing? Sure, I'm all in. Oh, you want to lower our standards just like that? Sure, let's go. And very many women do that sometimes, either because they have their own issues that they're dealing with, um, or because they think that's what they're supposed to be doing. The Gemara talks about that. You know, a husband who was married when she when she was married, a, wo- a woman is married to a Tamil Chokham, She's treating him the way a Tamil Chokham should be treated. She's married to someone else, treating him the way he should be treated, and she's basically going along with what she shouldn't be really going along with. That's what happens very often. Now. Again, all this needs guidance, and a lot of these things are, de- are dealing with sensitive situations. There are times where you'll be told to go along, even if something's wrong. You should get that started. It's not a differentiate between the things that you should be going along with because they're just fine. Or the things you, want, you should be going along with because that's what's needed at the moment. And the things you shouldn't be going along with because why ever, yeah. If it's wrong, it's wrong, and you don't have to go along and promote it and, and make believe you're okay with it. So those two extremes, which happen to be the two, close to the two extremes that the Urch Lechaim was talking about, which I just mentioned before, about being the holier-than-thou who's disconnected or even trying to control, or the other way around, just going along with everything and whatever you say is good and goes, and, and sometimes 
um, pushing a snowball faster down the down the hill. You know, both of those extremes are no good. There's a middle extreme. There's a middle. There's a middle way of doing things, and very often that's the way. That, that's the right way for a wife. It doesn't mean that she's necessarily doing everything he wants and, and, and actually making and giving him the encouragement to do everything wrong. There's a way to be passive and there's a way to be polite and there's a way to be in a relationship with someone without being overtaken, without trying to overtake. There's a healthy way of being in a relationship, in a marriage. I'm here for you, I love you, I accept you. I'm not here to, to, to criticize you or to control you. And, and I am who I am and I have my ideas and I have the things I believe in and it's fine and I think that I think that you, you, husband, will probably appreciate the fact that I have my own ideas and I'm not a little lotsy going along. And it's definitely going to be to the, to, the, to the advantage of both of us and our home and our children and everything else. You know, the, the, being, being passive can sometimes be done in a very apathetic way where I don't care, do your own thing. We're, we're, we're roommates, you know, and some people do that and it's very hurtful, by the way. Some people are passive in a disappointing way. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'll be very unhappy. I'm going to give a sour face. I'm going to show you how unhappy I am. That's not called being passive. There's a way to be there, be present, and be in a relationship, and be loving, and accepting, and attached, without going to either of the two extremes I mentioned before. And very often that's the position of a wife, to be accepting, to be respectful, to be connected, and, and, to, not, and to not get pulled in either direction, or try to pull in either direction. Now, of course, there's, there's, there's all the good things that a wife could do, not just being passive. You could praise all the good things your husband has and does, and very many people, um, 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 very many people, complain to me and, and tell me, you know, I, I have him see a snafish to learn Torah, or I, I do this good thing, or I put an effort into the chenachabun, or whatever it is. I don't hear anything. My wife doesn't even notice it. It means nothing to her. That's a problem. We spoke last week. I think it was about women who either don't help their husband do the right thing, or you actually get in the way. So of course, there's all the good that you can promote. It's not a question. There's even all the stability that you can give. You know to, to about what, what I think we really should be doing in a healthy way, without controlling anyone, without being critical. Be there to remind you know, your husband in, in a healthy way about what the right thing to do is. That's fine, as long as it's not coming across in a controlling way. As a matter of fact, most often, when you try to fight or control someone, it's not productive. So even though your question is very innocent, like, maybe I should step in and do something, maybe it's early on, and I should, I should, I should not let it go. Go ahead, try. Very often, it doesn't work when you try to control someone. Now, I know with some people it does. Go ahead. Most people, most people on their own realize and pick up on if they could or if they can't really influence someone the right way. And most often when people feel that they can't, they're right. You can't. So I, I, maybe I'm being a little, a little vague, but um, I, I do believe that most people, when they do have the option of saying something, and they do feel that they're going to be heard and listened to, and the little encouragement or the little, the slight, um, subtle criticism will be taken well, by all means, go ahead and do it. Most often, when people are getting stuck is when they realize that that's not working anymore. So now it's either between going and fighting someone and controlling them and putting them down and letting them know that this will not be tolerated in this home and I'm the queen of the home and I'm not going to let it happen. Or going the other way and saying, you know what, I'm all in it with you. Let's, let's just... That's where you decide that either extreme is no good. But what's something you're going to say might be taken well. That's called being Isaac connected. It's being called Ishak Shaira, you know, helping your husband grow and, and, and reminding him that something is, is right or wrong. I, I think that's definitely fine. Very often, when a woman with a chachmas nushim bantzabaisa knows how to not judge her husband, not put him down, and not try to control him, but knows how to not promote or, or, or compliment something that's no good. And it's not a secret the husband will realize, oh, my wife is not really happy with this. Maybe I should take it more seriously. And, and start realizing where, you know, where maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. I see she's not so excited about it. 
she's much more excited when I do the right thing. And I get a lot of attention for her and a lot of good relationship from her and with her when I do the right thing. Another important thing, where somebody's maybe looking for something else because he's not getting anything at home. You know, very often, a chachmas notion, when it's done right, is bon sabaisi. You could have a big part in building your husband, building a home, and, and putting things on a healthy track. The fact that he has a big yetzahara, the fact that he has nisyonis that you don't have, I don't know if you can control them. Actually, I don't know if you can control them. But very often, even when somebody does have those temptations, even when somebody is falling through in certain areas, they, you can still keep them on track by being the anchor that's held in the right place at the right time with the right attitude that's not pulling or pushing. That's, that's just a very important thing to, to, you know, to remember that your role as, as, a, as, a, as a woman. Now, like in every area in life, in every relationship especially, there are red lines. There are red lines, and it varies from person to person. You might want to get your own guidance of what you should consider a red line. I was just dealing with a situation where a man was um, crossing a lot of red lines because he thought that's what he was supposed to do because that's what his wife was dictating for him to do. And by the time, by the time they were done crossing all the red lines, that's where all the problems came up. But now, we, how do you get back? There are red lines. There are things that should not happen. There are things that should never take place. And if you don't know what they are, you could ask someone, is this a red line? My husband's doing this and this. Is it a red line? And a red line might even mean that even if it has nothing to do with me, Maybe I shouldn't tolerate it. Maybe it's not okay. Maybe it's time to leave. Maybe it's time to make sure that my children won't have to deal with this. Maybe, but that you, you shouldn't be deciding that on your own. Another thing to take consideration, into consideration when you want to know if something's really intolerable is, and this is probably something I mentioned the other year, and I talk about this often, how much and how directly is it affecting you? That's a, that's a separate story. That's a boundary issue. It has nothing to do with intolerable. There are things that someone's imposing on you, and without fighting it or without being obnoxious, it's okay to say, listen, this really doesn't work for me. I didn't sign up for this. And without getting proper guidance of me hearing clearly from somebody we both trust that this is the right thing for me to do, please understand that it doesn't work for me. Right? A relationship means that I'm still a person, an individual, even though I'm, I'm married to you. And, and, and a lot of this has to do with people's tolerance level in general. There are people that just simply can't tolerate certain things. What should they do? They could hear it in a share, they could hear it one-on-one, and, and it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Well, you, you can make someone tolerate something. My point is that there are red lines, and you want to know what to do with them. But in general, for a wife to know what she should be doing, you know, is definitely a, a more general idea that's sometimes very helpful. Now, I'm not going to deny, based on what you're telling me, that there, you know, based on the question, I'm not going to deny there is such a thing as prevention. And there is such a thing as early on, you know, nipping in the bud when you see something just getting a little off. And very often it's way before what you're describing even. Whether it means you're noticing that your husband doesn't have a roof who he, who he feels comfortable with, or he doesn't have a squeeze in La Toira, and he's not... He doesn't have that, that he's not grounded in the Basmadish or in, or in Yiddishkeit properly. He doesn't have a friend, he doesn't have a shield where he feels comfortable going, so he's busy davening somewhere else, so he doesn't even realize where he's davening. It's very important for every woman, and again, every husband as well, I'm just saying it in this context, to promote the good from early on before you notice how important it is to promote. I've, I've dealt with many situations where people later regretted, you know, I really could have pushed things in a better direction early on. When my, either when my husband or my wife asked me early on if it's okay if we slack off in this or that, like I said before, and I said, yeah, no big deal, because I really didn't think it was so important then, and it wasn't even so important then. But like I said before, that's when you were promoting something no good, and now, now it's too late to pull back. You know, so when early on you could promote all the good and push things in the right direction, we'll start noticing when early, early on things are just not what they used to be, and how could I, in a, in a healthy way, not in a controlling way, not in a condescending way, in a way that makes people feel good, promote the good and make sure that, that, you know, that my husband's doing the right thing or my wife is doing the right thing, good for you. Of course there's a lot of prevention. But very often when things are only half sour on the left foot, 
a little broken and you think you're still preventing things and, and, you, and you want to know like why should I let it happen maybe it's not so extreme anymore get one on one guidance to know is it or isn't it extreme is there something still that you could say or, or are you dealing with something you can't say and if you could then go ahead and say and when you say something it has to be said right so I don't think I'm assuming I don't know I'm assuming that a lot of what I'm saying now is probably very similar to what I said in the previous show that you asked about but I don't know um, another line that you just mentioned over here before I go on to something more practical to the situation that you asked about um, you, you it's just a cute line how to do it I don't know you, you're right. wouldn't it be better to deal with an early man who's struggling at the brink rather than dealing with someone drowning how to do it I don't know that's my question to you the professional very often, you ask the professional, I don't know if I'm professional or not, but very often the professional is the one who knows that there's no magic. Very many people come with questions that just last week somebody was, was emailing me about a crisis situation with a kid. What do I do now? As if there's some one-liner that I can shoot back in an email and stabilize the situation. You're dealing with a crisis. You're dealing with a problem. You're dealing with a... I'm not going to go into detail, but it was, it was something that was very overwhelmingly uh, critical moment. What do we do? I, I don't know what you do. Not always can you do something. The professional is the one who knows you can't do something. The one who's not professional is still looking for the answer. Maybe I can do something? Is there something I'm missing? Very often the professional will tell you, nothing you can do right now. Wait and assess the situation and see where it goes and call me back. Interestingly, the same person reached out to another two professionals and they told them the same thing. Based on what you're telling me, right now there's nothing you could do. Calm down. Call me back in 12 hours. Call me back tomorrow. Let me, let me hear how your child is doing and, and we'll, we'll work together. My point is that a professional often knows there's no magic. So when you have an Eilich in Gaman, and I believe that your husband is Eilich, and he's struggling, there's not always a magic that a professional could help you with. And just like you don't know what really could you do, there might not be so much you could do. Sometimes the best thing you could do is to be the accepting, respectful, um, connected wife. That, that's very often. Now, like you say, loving unconditionally is, is, is not easy. The, emotional, the, the flow of emotional connection gets stuck when I'm not happy with what he's doing and I'm anxious. It's true. You, you mentioned something about children, adults. Unconditional love is, is always difficult, by the way, for anyone who ever tried it. And it's easy for the child who you love unconditionally because, because there's no conditions ne- needed. You know, this child is a wonderful child. It's very easy to love a child unconditionally. By the time parents struggle with children who challenge them, and they need to go for guidance and be told, love your child unconditionally, it's not easy anymore, even if it's a child, and especially if it's an adult. Many people struggle with loving themselves unconditionally, for that matter. Uh, but except for Hashem, who we love unconditionally, because we know when you understand what a Havas Hashem really means, it's not dependent on conditions, it's really hard to love anyone unconditionally. You still very often need to behave with unconditional love to make someone feel good and feel connected and to help them the best possible to deal with the challenges they're presented with. Is that for sure going to help them overcome the Yetzirah? I've said already before. Very often not. Very often you have to do it for a long time you know, to get through to someone. But that might still be your best bet and there might not be any more magic than that. I will mention another thing and that is that you... Said to him, I can't say anything because as far as I know, he doesn't know that I know anything. I don't know if that means that you can't say anything. If you feel you can't say anything because you're intimidated or you know it will be taken wrong, then like I said before, you might be already in a situation where you talk, I can't say anything. Even if he knows that you know. The fact that he's hiding it doesn't mean you could. Then again, maybe you could say something. I don't know if you decided that you can't say anything and then you're afraid to and maybe you really should. Maybe you could bring up with Chachma at the right time in the right way, in the right tone, with the right validation, with the right understanding, that I understand this is a challenge, and I found out that you have this challenge, and that you're dealing with this, and it really doesn't sit well with me. 
I understand the challenge. I don't mean to judge you, and I think maybe we should talk to someone about it. I would appreciate if this could be discussed so that we both feel better. There's smart ways of dealing with things. I would not encourage you to say something if you ultimately know that you look through his pockets, because that might just teach him how to hide things better from you in a better way. Uh, but if you go bring something up in a healthy way, then very often people feel like, I can't say anything. So what, what should I do? And again, you're limiting my options, right? Hello, professional. I can't say anything. What do I do? If you can't say anything, you can either write it, or you could hint it, or you could think it, but there's not many more options. But you might be able to say something. And if you say it the right way, and saying it is not a contradiction to any kind of healthy way that you're dealing with someone and making them feel very good, maybe you could say something. Maybe not saying something is a problem. And sometimes, you talk, can't say anything. And when you can't, then the further, you're limited to what you really could do. And you can still be a good wife. And you can still make sure not to promote things that are no good. And you can still praise your husband for what is good. You can still make him feel good. And very often, with the right attitude and the right approach, and a lot of tefillah, a lot of set deshmaya. I spoke about this recently also, with a woman who said that she davened and saw an improvement in her husband's learning. You know, with a lot of tefillah, a lot of set deshmaya, I wish so if you could bring out the best of your husband, we could bring out the best of your wife. And I wish to live together, but have a